week? How many had a busy week? How many are slacking all week? There you go, some slackers in the crowd. <laughs> you know, some things are to be celebrated. Uh, I guess if you like the Yankees. I was rooting for the Phillies. But yeah, I mean, we conclude the World Series. That's a big thing in our nation, evidently. Um, and we've had, uh, you know, the not-so-good news, right? Lots of deaths and amazing, unbelievable attacks in, in, our, in our own army bases and deaths and things we're still scratching our heads about. How did that happen? And then just last night, at 11.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the House voted to approve the health care bill. Oh, no. Now listen here, don't get too... Whoa. <laughs> it is an oh no, it really is. And I'm amazed by this. How many of you wrote your congressman this week, or last week, or the week before? Four of us? Five of us? You need to hear a lot more from us. Uh, that's the democratic process we're living in, and it, and it works if we work it. Um, if we don't work it, it won't work. And I believe it's broken. And I'm not going to try and wax too political this morning, but I was amazed by this, using a, springing off the word of our song, I'm amazed by God, this was amazing, that within four minutes of the vote, I got a letter back from our Congressman Lewis by email. Dear Pastor Tunnel, thank you for taking time to share your thoughts about health care reform. I appreciate your valuable input. Now, I knew that he was already against the, the uh, House resolution, but I still wrote to him and said, way to go, buddy. You know, I'm praying for you. God bless you. Keep up the good work. Don't let them do it without this in there. Bring over this information. Bring over, make sure the amendment looks like this. You know, don't let it go through the way it's written now. And uh, I think the good news is that happened. You know, there was a national prayer call on Friday night by Lou Engel and the call that went out urgently on Friday morning. Many of you may be in that loop, got an email from the call, Lou Engel, and said we're, they were in Sacramento for the call Sacramento, which is a huge prayer movement, by the way. It's just if you're unfamiliar with that, they just gather in places and, and then pray from, you know, they'll fast and pray for 40 days and then culminate in a giant one-day event and just pray from morning till night, just seek God and repent and ask God to intervene in our nation. He sent out a national prayer call, put on a prayer phone call that was linked across the nation. We dialed in from here in, in the sanctuary on Friday night and participated for an hour across the nation with places like the St. Louis House of Prayer and different groups that were interceding for at least a change in the health bill that would not require us to pay for abortions. And I believe that language was introduced, and that was in the last moments of this bill. That was accepted, and that's how it was voted on through. So that's a success. That's a movement by prayer and by the voice of the people. He goes on to say, Against my strong opposition, the House of Representatives has passed H.R. 3962, a $1.3 trillion federal overhaul. $1.3 trillion federal overhaul of our nation's health care system. I would like to explain why I voted no on this bill and share my ideas about how we can bring down health care costs and ensure more Americans. 
I believe the House Democrat bill is, is a Washington takeover of the health care system. It will bring federal regulation, mandates, bureaucracies, and higher federal spending. It will create a government-run health plan and a massive expansion of Medicaid. This expansion would impose tens of billions of dollars in new unfunded mandates on states like California that are already struggling. These provisions will cause millions to lose their current health coverage and be forced into a government plan. I'm extremely concerned about major job losses that will be caused by the new taxes and mandates on businesses. H.R. 3962 raises taxes by $729 billion, including $135 billion in new taxes on businesses. President Obama's own economic advisor has said that 5.5 million jobs might be lost as a result of this bill. This is recklessly dangerous during an economic crisis when the Inland Empire is facing unemployment of over 14 percent. I, I will not vote for a health plan that costs more jobs. <clears throat> H.R. 3962 also violates the President's pledge of no new taxes on the middle class. It includes a tax on any individual who does not purchase government-mandated health insurance. Though, listen to this now. Those who don't pay the tax penalty would be subject to a jail sentence. I also worry about what this bill would mean for our nation's seniors. It contains more than $400 billion in Medicare cuts to help pay for the expansion of government health care. Medicare Advantage plans used by more than 50,000 seniors in this district alone would be cut by $162.2 billion. The bill would also raise Medicare Part B and Part D premiums. It is irresponsible to cut benefits and raise premiums for seniors while doing nothing to bolster the Medicare trust fund that will go bankrupt in 2017. We do not need a government takeover to ensure that all Americans, including those with pre-existing conditions and those who cannot afford the cost of health care, uh, receive the care that they need. In any plan I support, and there are these bullet items, Americans who like their employer-based coverage would keep it and keep the tax exclusion on health benefits. We would not have a cut-rate government-subsidized insurance policy that lures employers away from private plans. Number two, costs would be brought down by creating a competitive national insurance market that would make insurance portable across state lines. This would permit small businesses, associations, churches, and civic groups to pool their purchasing power to offer more affordable and portable health packages to their members. We would contain out-of-control health care costs by ending junk lawsuits, which waste billions because doctors must practice defensive medicine and pay huge malpractice insurance premiums. Individuals and families who don't like their coverage or don't have employer-based insurance would get the same tax savings as businesses when they buy their own health plan. I will continue to fight against a government takeover of health care as the House of Representatives begins negotiating a package with the Senate on a final bill. I will insist on bipartisan common-sense solutions that keep health care decisions in the hands of individual Americans. Again, I appreciate you taking the time to communicate. Please don't hesitate to share any further ideas, thoughts, or concerns about health reform. I look forward to continuing this important dialogue with my constituents. Sincerely, Jerry Lewis, Member of Congress. John Chapter 16. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you, Jesus is here saying in figurative language, but uh, 
The time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I don't say that you, to you that, uh, you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Excuse me. His disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we're sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? You know, I always struggle for a tone of voice when you read the scriptures. Do you? So how did that sound? Oh, you're, Jesus, you're talking plain now. We got it. You're the one. You're the, you, we're, we believe. We got it. We're in. No figurative. Plainly, we understand you're the Son of God. And we believe. Do you now believe? Next verse. Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come. That you'll be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. He already knew what was going to happen. He knew that he would be turned over, and they would... Oh, we believe until the pressure comes. We believe until the heat's on. We're in a time in our nation when the heat is getting turned up. In fact, it feels a little warm in here. Right now. Let's turn it up. Turn it up to about 80. Cook us. No, just kidding. Because uh, I need to feel the heat this morning. Not really, Ed. Don't take me serious. Things are changing. The next verse is so important. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In the world you'll have tribulation. I think we've done this one before, but let's have a little Greek lesson. Repeat after me. Philipsis. Philipsis. Tribulation. Here's the definition. Pressure. Oppression. Stress. Anguish. Tribulation. Adversity. Affliction. Crushing. Squashing. Squeezing distress. Here's the picture. You've seen the inboxes where all day long they're putting papers in the inbox. All day long. And the papers stack up and by the end of the day, somebody has to come and extract all the papers out of that box and deliver them somewhere. So they take them out and they're looking kind of this. They're all skewed. And and they take them over and they kind of straighten them. And they might even put their hand on top of the stack and push down and press all the air out of between the pages. Have you ever done it? You kind of pressed all the air out between the pages and it became very, very flat, very compact. That's a word picture for thlipsis. Jesus says the world, in the world, you're going to get the air squeezed out of It's going to be with distress, anxiety, tribulation, pressure, oppression, stress. But be of good cheer. 
Because in me, if you get into me, if you stay in me, you're going to have peace in the midst of it. I get caught up in what's happening. I'm in, I'm in touch. I'm involved. I've got my networking little webs going all the time. And you know I'm not too far out of touch on a lot of stuff all at once. And sometimes it just gets overwhelming. You know, one day as I use these three illustrations, one day they're going, yay, for the World Series. And the next day they're taking you down the road to a health care bill. And in the midst of it, they throw in the middle of the cookie that somebody went ballistic and took out a bunch of our soldiers right on our own soil. And, and your mind starts getting kind of screwed around. And you're like, man, what is going on? This is bad. This is good. No, this is bad. This is bad. And that's good. No, it's all bad. Pretty soon you're lost in it. And the world comes in and takes your little stack of papers in your heart and squeezes all the air out of it. And there you are going. <laughs> Jesus says, in that moment, don't forget, Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I know that in all these things, I am cared for, I am loved, I can still have peace. Because in the midst of the storm, Jesus said, "You're going to." He guaranteed, "You're going to have tribulation." He guaranteed, "You're going to have problems." He said it. That's the Son of God. What He said is truth. He is truth. See, now I know there are a lot of places where I would not be invited back if I preached this kind of a message, because the message that some want to hear today is all about how wonderful it is and how good it is, and how you ought to just drive down the street and claim that and claim that and have everything. And I've got victory. Listen, I've got all those things too. But I'm not unrealistic in reading what Jesus said when he promised tribulation would be upon us. And when it comes that we can still have cheer if we're in him. That's the trick, isn't it, huh? In him. Me in him, him in me. Remember that? A long time ago, that message, if you were here for that one. I've got to be in him and then let him be in me living his life out through me, then I can have cheer. Because I know that Jesus, the Bible says, he is the overcomer. And that in him, I am more than an overcomer. And I love the illustration of the boxer, but I won't go there. We are overcomers in him. Jeremiah chapter 11. You know, I saw in, the, in one of the news reports, one of the uh, congressmen brought his probably grandchild into the podium <laughs> on the floor. I, I just saw a clip and he's saying, you don't really want a $650 billion debt for your generation, do you? Yeah. You know, and look at our young people. I mean, they are defenseless without Christ. Uh, we're, we're doing some things. In this nation, they're a little scary. Mm-hmm. You know, when the government finally says, we can put you in jail if you don't pay this tax, we've stepped over some lines. But where else are you going to live? I'm moving to Ohio. No. <laughs> Jeremiah, in his day was in a group of people that had broken covenant with God. 
And he was called to prophesy to them constantly and remind them of their sin and tell them their troubles and tell them to return to God and they wouldn't. He was a very unpopular man. By the way, he became a prophet when he was only a young man. And he was saddled with this responsibility to go and tell a nation to turn to God. And they never would. He'd tell them and they wouldn't. He'd tell them and they wouldn't. To the point that in verse 18, chapter 11, he says, Now the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I know it. For you, capital Y, God, showed me their doings. But I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter. I did not know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, Let's destroy the tree with its fruit, and let's cut him off from the land of the living that his name be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have revealed my cause. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life when they say, Jeremiah, don't prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there shall be no remnant of them, for I will bring catastrophe on the men of Anathoth, even the year of their punishment. In case you don't know, Anathoth is Jeremiah's hometown. <laughs> Lord, they're trying to kill me. Get them. Lord says, I'll take care of them. I know what they're saying against you. I will deal with it. And so Jeremiah begins, I like this, Jeremiah has this open dialogue with the creator of the universe. He's not afraid of God. He has brought his life to a point where he said, Lord, I'm obedient to you. I'm serving you. You called me. I'm doing what you asked me to do. I'm in covenant relationship with you. I'm not standing outside your fellowship. I just have open dialogue. And you know what? That, what's, that's what lends to open dialogue with God is when you know you don't have any problems coming before him. I thank God for his scriptures in Hebrews chapter 4 where it says that we can always come to the throne to find grace, to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. I was looking at that this week and it really stands out to me that when you come before God's throne and you say, Lord, I need mercy, what you're saying is I need mercy for my past. I need forgiveness and all of that. I need you to release me and have mercy on me. Judgment is against me and it's just. I should die under the pressure of it, but I need your mercy. But it says we come to find mercy and he grants that. And then, he, and then we come find grace. What's grace? Grace is for going to the future. Mercy is for the past. Grace is for tomorrow and today. Lord, now that you've given me mercy and I'm no longer under the debt of sin and punishment, now give me your grace so I can live out the future. Help me to go in this direction under your grace. Isn't that beautiful? Jeremiah had this kind of relationship, and in chapter 12 he starts to talk with the, with the Father. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet, let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You've planted them. Yes, they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from their mind. 
I'm always taken back by this. If you pay attention in life, you can learn a lot. Talking with somebody, you're talking to them, they, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in eternity, they don't believe in heaven or hell, they don't believe in anything. And then as your parting company, I might say to them, well, God bless you. And they'll say back, God bless you too. <laughs> Do you ever catch those things? Yeah. You go, wait a second. Atheist doesn't believe anything saying, God bless me? Who are you talking to? What are you talking about? They're inconsistent. God is in their mouth and on their lips, but he's very far from their hearts. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, you know me. You've seen me, he says. And you've tested my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Prepare them for the day of slaughter. They were leading me away as a sheep, a docile lamb to kill me. Let it come back on them. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? The beasts and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there. Because they said, He, God, will not see our final end. This was a generation of people that are very much like our generation. There are people that have taken God and pulling him off his throne as who he is and put up secularism in its place, saying that we are, ourselves are God. We're God. We're everything. It's all about us. It's all about me. Life ought to revolve around me. And you know what? We've been asleep at the wheel in this nation for a long time. And, uh, you know, at some point we've got to shake ourselves and wake up. I'm not saying we all got to become politicals, but... You know, this, this House bill, for example, is now passed by the House of Representatives. Now it goes to the Senate. They have a different bill. And there are 100 senators. If you don't remember your government, there are two senators for every state. We have 50 states. There are 100 senators in the Senate. They have to get 60 of those senators to vote to bring their bill to the floor for another vote in order to approve it. They first have to get 60 people to support the idea of looking at the bill publicly and together and then after they review it, then they have to call a vote on whether to pass the Senate bill. If the Senate bill passes and the House bill is already passed, now they're going to have to strike a bargain between the two and merge them and call for a full vote. This whole thing is running pell-mell down towards Christmas. The president's trying to promise us that it'll happen before the end of the year. But I thank God that he's in charge <laughs> of even things like this. Because we've got a whole group of people involved in that atmosphere who are believers. Come on, on that Friday night phone call, one of the senators got on the phone and said, here's the issues we face, let's pray. And he led the nation that was on the phone together in prayer. So, well, we got some on the inside, amen? But there are a lot of others who God's on their lips, but their hearts are far from him. They still think that we are God. They still think in secularism that they sit at the top of this pile. And it's all about what they want. And you and I wouldn't matter in the vote. Jeremiah was in this kind of an atmosphere as well. And he said, these people around me say, God will never see our final end. doesn't matter what we do. Nobody will rule over me. I've dethroned God. I'm just making decisions on my own. Best for me. Tough times. God's answer to Jeremiah is so encouraging. By the way, if you hadn't figured it out, I came today to cheer you up. 
God says, if you've run with the footmen and they've wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, in which you trusted, they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? Can we put up the first slide there? History time. A little history lesson. Maps 101. This is a picture of the Transjordan. It's kind of skewed. North isn't definitely north. It's there so you can read it. We'll flip it over in a minute the other way. A little blue body of water there toward the upper right is the Sea of Galilee. And you see the Dead Sea down to the left. <clears throat> Normally it would be vertical. The area from the bottom tip of the Sea of Galilee to the northern end of the Dead Sea is called the Gore Valley, G-H-O-R. It's also part of the Rift Valley. And this, from the top, it's about four miles wide where it starts. And as it goes down, it becomes about 14 miles wide at the Dead Sea. It also moves from 700 feet to 1,400 feet below sea level on the route down. You can see a couple of major rivers coming in from the east, one just below the Sea of Galilee and uh, one about halfway down. And these, uh, these two rivers flow into the Jordan from the east in the rainy season and cause it to flood over its banks. This is a very fertile area, and there's even today, there are flocks over there grazing in this Rift Valley, in this Gore Valley. Uh, I think, oh, I even put the definition of the width of the Jordan Valley broads for four miles below the sea. Gee, it was right there. I could have read it to you. I put it in there. Last sentence. The green floodplain is known as the Zor, the Arabic word for thicket. Flip to the other one. It just kind of rolls over. Seeing it from the, the other way. We're in the satellite and it just went by. We're on the other side. El Gore, Zor, Arabic for thicket. The latter was known as the Zor of the Jordan. The Gore, translated by the King James, the swelling. By the Revised Standard Version, Pride by the New English Bible, dense thickets. The NIV says thickets. And by the RSV, jungle. It was noted as the habitat of wild animals such as lions. There's reference to Jeremiah 49.19 and Zechariah 11.3. Jeremiah is asked, if he fell down in a safe land, how would he do in a dangerous place like the jungle of the Jordan? Let me try and broaden the picture. Jeremiah, you're complaining about the situation you're in and times are tough, but I have a question back for you. If all you're doing is running, you're just on the beach as a footman, and the footmen, which were the men of Anathoth in this conversation, the people of your own hometown are wearing you out, and you're in the land of safety. It's easy travel where you live now. How will you fare... When the Jordan overflows its banks and the waters reach all the way to the thickets, the forested area on both sides, where the lions and the bears live. Real ones. This isn't just a kid's story. Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, or whatever that thing is. I mean, really, in the thickets, they called it the pride of the Jordan because prides of lions lived there. So imagine you're able to just contend on the beach with the footmen. No problem. 
But now this thing's going to flood over. And now you've got to run through the thicket. Imagine this. We, we can relate to Manzanita. Just try taking off outside here, up any one of these mountainsides, and running through the Manzanita. How well would you do? <laughs> Scrape, cut, beat. That stuff's tough. Thickets. Now, not only are you trying to navigate through the Manzanita and it's cutting on you and beating you up, but now you come around the corner, there's a lion. And over here, there's a bear. And the bear says to the lion, what you don't get, can I have? (laughs) And this is God's answer to Jeremiah. Hey, man, you're living on easy street right now. This is nothing compared to what's coming. The guys from your hometown are giving you trouble, but they're just the footmen. Not only is it going to flood wider than this and become more troublesome than this, but now you're going to have to navigate in the thickets. You've got lions, bears, all kinds of other problems. And on top of that, men on horses are going to chase you. And they will have the advantage because they're on horses. The horses have to navigate the thickets while they just ride up on top. Not only that, Verse 6, even your brothers, the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they have called a multitude after you. Don't believe them, even though they speak smooth words to you. Listen to Jesus in Luke chapter 12. I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it's accomplished. Do you think I've come to bring peace on the earth? No, I've come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. And mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, When you see clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, Oh, here comes a shower. And you're right. When the south wind blows, you say, Today will be a scorcher. And it is. You fools, you know how to interpret the weather signs of earth and sky. But you don't know how to interpret the present time. I feel like God might have told Jeremiah, have you read the Proverbs recently? Remember that one, Proverbs 24.10, Jeremiah, where it says, if you fail under pressure, your strength is small. This is a time for the church to get tough. To get ready. We should have been ready by now. And I hope you can hear me. I don't know that I'm saying it as clearly as I would like, but there are two hands on which we must work. Two sides. One is, and you think about the political structure and what you say, well, what good is my voice? Your voice counts. But you've got to speak with it. I mean, I got a letter back from Jerry Lewis. You might say, oh, it's just can't. Yeah, but I got one. He knows I'm out here. He knows I wrote to him. I would have loved it if he had said, thanks for that God bless you part, Jeff. That was cool. But it wasn't that personal. 
that he could send it out four minutes after the vote means I know he's got a staff. He's got one ready for both sides of win or lose. And when it goes, he says, send it. It's over. Send it. Let them know what we're doing out here. And I get it. But now I've got two senators I need to talk to coming up on the next round. You know what? I already know that neither one of those senators wants to hear from me because I've talked to them before. I mean, I send them happy mail. They send me hate mail. And I think these are my representatives. And I'm just going to keep talking. And I need like another 30 million people to talk with me. Did you know that one of the guys that voted last night to approve the bill was a Republican from uh, Louisiana? And I saw him on a clip and he here he was in favor, and I thought, how did this, and I'm not going Democrat-Republican here, it's not my goal. I'm just amazed that a Republican would step over to a Democrat platform and vote for it. And the point of it was, his major constituency in his district is Democrat. Now, that to me is how this system works. You can be elected as a Republican, and if your constituency is talking to you, and they're mostly Democrats, you're supposed to represent them. That's why they're called representatives. So I don't really mind if our senators don't share my view. It's still my view. And they better listen. And if enough people say listen, they should. Even if they vote contrary to what they want. But I think that in lots of ways God's on their lips, but far from their hearts. So that's one hand. Next round. Let me tell you how I hope this goes down. I hope the Senate bill gets stalled long enough that it covers over to the end of the year and goes into 2010 and maybe straggles all the way out to March. Why? Does anybody guess? In March, every seat in the House of Representatives is up for election. 30% of the Senate is up for election and a whole bunch of governorships. So you could see a major shift in climate and attitude in the month of March if the American people are not happy with what's happening. Why do you think there's a rush on to get a vote done before Christmas or before the end of the year? So it can't get into that point and turn the whole government around again. And again, I'm not saying Republican or Democrat. I'm just saying, listen, the American people don't stand up and say, on one hand, we don't like what's happening. Change this. Then it'll just go on and on the way it is. I'm not sure I can see much benefit in the process we're in or what's coming out of it. But you and I, as people who live in a district, can say something, and I encourage you to do that. Romans chapter 13 says that we are supposed to be about good government. And we are happen to be in a, a democratic republic where we have a voice, and I think that God requires of us that we speak into it. If we're the people who have life and truth, we should be speaking life and truth into the government that says we will obey them. They write the laws, we obey. Let's help them write the laws. That's one hand. The other hand is our spiritual maturity. Our spiritual ability to hang in in the midst of tribulation is at stake. This isn't all about politics. It's about you growing in Christ. It's about you receiving Jesus and growing up in Jesus so that should the air get pressed out of you, you will not lose your joy. You will not lose your peace. You will not lose your connection to the head, Jesus.
I told this story last night. Some of you have heard it before, and I apologize for not having the accurate doc- documentation. I can get it for you if you question this. I'd be happy to substantiate it. The story of a family, a father, a mother, and their two children who were put into a hole because they believed in Jesus. They put them in the hole, surrounded the upper rim of the hole, and said to this family, to the father, deny this Jesus. If you don't, we will bury you alive. He said, I I can't do that. I can't deny my Jesus. And they began around the top of the rim, shoveling the dirt in. And the family together decided to sing and worship. And that was going pretty good until it dawned on the father that the children are shorter than he is. And they're going to go first. And about the time their voices were beginning to get muffled by the dirt in their mouths, he started to say, stop. To which one of his children pulled on him and said, Dad, don't do it. Tonight we'll be with Jesus. And they continued to sing until all their four voices were muffled to death. I'm not making this stuff up. This is really happening. The end of the story is that most of the people with shovels in their hands laid them down and eventually surrendered their lives to Christ. Which tells me this. Someone else wiser than me said this before me, but I'll quote them. It's not the duration of your life that matters. It is the donation of your life that matters. It's not whether your life is pleasant or not that counts. It's whether you count or not for Jesus. If things in this generation are responded to by the Father in the same way that he responded to Jeremiah, then it's time for us to toughen up. It's time for us to get focused. It's time for us to grow up and say that I'll do all I can in the situation I'm in to announce and to vote and to to promote and to preach and righteousness and goodness and truth and salvation through Jesus Christ. But even if they strip it all away and they throw me in the hole and start shoveling in the dirt, will I stand? I've often said it would be easy to die for Christ as long as it happens in an instant. Because I don't want to suffer. I don't want persecution. I don't want torture first. Just kill me. And I could die for Jesus. But I hear him always respond to me in my spirit. Jeff, I'm not asking you to die for me. I did that for you. I'm asking you to live for me. I'm asking you to live for something bigger than yourself. To get it off your lips and get it into your heart. That this is a reality. This is a spiritual battle. We're in the throes of things. And, and this little blip on the screen is just footmen. What will you do when it overflows the banks and you've got to run through the thickets away from the horses and deal with the lions and the bears at the same time? And Jeremiah, don't forget, I just wanted to let you know, your own family is against you. Don't trust what they say. I'm not trying to put anybody at ease about this ease about your family members. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus said it's going to come like this through two verses three or or three verses two, and uh, you know Thanksgiving coming up, so I don't want to set anything wrong. <laughs> you know, I don't want you sitting around the table carving your turkey, going one, two, mother, father-in-law. Oh my gosh, 
trying to size up the battle. It doesn't have to be that way. They can all know Jesus. We can all go together. Amen. And we can all be saved and on our way to heaven. Even in-laws don't have to be outlaws. Psalm 73, and we're done. Of course, Psalm 73 has 1,800 verses. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> That's Psalm 119. Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no pains in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence for all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. This, this is a conflict here. Can you see it? I've, I've, I'm saved and it's pointless. I've cleansed my heart before God. I'm walking with Jesus and it just seems to be of no value in this life. I look at the sinners, man, and they got everything I want. They're going places. They're on vacation. They're going on cruises. They're hanging out. They never seem to have any problems. They're, they got all the great houses. They got all the cars. You know what? They're spending their tithe. Hello? Are you a tither? You know those little boxes on the wall are about tithes and offerings. They're about giving to the Lord. They're about being involved in missions. I would rather go down swinging than stealing from God. Rather go down having nothing and knowing I tithe and I gave and I supported missions and I was involved in his kingdom work than to keep all what belongs to God. Whew. Hope you feel that way. Should be a line at the boxes at this service's end. Quick, let's get our tithe in there. This guy's in conflict. Psalm of Asaph. Why do I do all this to be good when all the bad guys get the benefits and the breaks. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> I have. And I've seen a guy drive by in a car I wanted. And I thought, how did that guy get that car? That's my car. I'm supposed to have that. You know what? And I will never have that car. <laughs> Amen. But he's got it. And I envied the wicked. This stuff's real. I love the Psalms. In fact, verse 15, Asaph says, If I had said, quote, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this. I'm going to speak thus. Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Why is a capital? That means God. 
if I'd have said I'm going to speak like this, then I would have been untrue to the next generation of God's people. When I thought how to understand all this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely, God, you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes. (gasps) So, Lord, when you awake, you will despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Good good conclusion. Good summary by the psalmist. You know, I saw that. I was confused by it. Figured I, what I was doing wasn't worth it. And then you showed me when I came into the sanctuary of God. When I got together with God's people and began to worship. Not just in a building, in a quote sanctuary as we might think of it. But whether it's in a home or a business or a park. Wherever we gather to gather in his name, Jesus is in the midst and we begin to worship him. It becomes very clear how this ends. That we do go to heaven. We do live forever. Duration isn't what counts. Donation counts. What I live for matters. The rest of it is just a bonus if you have it. And if you don't have it, that's okay. You don't need it. Just don't listen to the media because they tell you you need, 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 need. Everything you don't have, have, have. And I'm going to work again this Christmas season not to become grumpy (laughs) about how that works. Let's keep going to the sanctuary of God. Let's keep going to the secret place of intimacy with Him. Let's keep having dialogue with the Father like Jeremiah did. But don't be surprised if He says to you, Smile, you're... No, that's a different story. Uh, Don't be surprised what he says to you. You're just seeing the footman now. All right, I'll throw this in as I close. Just historically, that floodplain, the early rains come in August. But the latter rain for the harvest comes in March and April. You know, I just tend to see prophetically in that degree. I go, oh, I thought this was tough now. It's just sprinkling. And the floods could come in March and April. Where will we be then? Hey, I put you on notice. you got a few months to be ready. <laughs> Dig in. Press in. Pray together. Don't forsake getting together with each other. Stay in fellowship. Keep your eyes on straight. Amen. Looking ahead to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and let's trust in Him. And now I've got to pray because the kids' own leaders are going to come and get me for being so over time. <laughs> Nursery workers are quitting by the dozens, even now. (laughs) Father, your word is truth. And while I may not have represented it really well today, 
I know that you can take what we've said and make something out of it. Challenge our hearts to live for you, Lord. Tell us and show us where it really counts. Give us some points of encouragement this week that our lives are counting and making a difference. Lord, give us a heart after you in these difficult times. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to grow and mature. And Jesus, thank you for your promise. Both sides, tribulation and peace. The peace of this world is not going to last. doesn't help us much. But the peace that you give, your peace, is what we need. Grant us that peace and help us not to be lulled to sleep. Keep us watchmen on the walls, awake and ready in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, I've talked a little bit about cells and lighthouses today. They're on the back of that bulletin. If you're not in one of those with us, if you haven't had a chance to meet somebody that's a cell leader, you saw them, they're going to come right now and hand me their questions, aren't they? One more time. Here come the questions. The questions are ready. They're coming. So the people that are bringing these questions, these are our lighthouse keepers for our groups. Connect with one of them and say, look, would you take me home with you? Would, can I go Can I go to your cell group this week? Where do you meet? How can I get in there? And uh, connect with us, okay? So we can work this out together in Jesus. God bless you. Have a great day.